there is a discussion about what is actually fitness what, what is being fit for transport is it well there is actually not scientific like clear definition so you can also say if, the, if scientists can't agree how can the driver and the farmer and all that agree and they don't uh but there is this discussion that maybe coal sours are never really truly fit for transport it's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Zinpro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance, Ivonic, We Are Sciencing the Global Food Challenge, Healthy Farms by Bioverse, Your Manure Management Experts, Swine Management to the Next Level, CloudFarms.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Adiseo, a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Cecilia Kerar, who is from the University in Denmark. How are you today, Cecilia? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, before we get started today, um, I think it would be good for you to give the audience um, a little bit more background about yourself and, and actually probably the correct pronunciation of your name as well. So um, I'm going to turn it over to you for a minute to give more of an introduction. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. So yeah, my name is Cecilia Kobik Kjellea, uh, and I'm a postdoc uh, in Denmark, uh, at a university called well, Aarhus University. Um, and well, I'm trained as a biologist uh, originally, but then did my PhD in animal science, um, both in Denmark, Aarhus University. And um, well, my PhD was actually about the, the large little size that we um, that we really are successful in having in, in Denmark, um, these very hyperprolific sows and ways to manage them. Uh, but actually, what I want to talk to you today is not about the the issues with the hyperprolific sow, but actually what the sow experiences afterwards, after she's done producing and she comes into this period where we can call it the cull sow period and what she experiences there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that will be great. Um, and that's where we'll, we'll really start is let's talk about that cull sow. I, I do think she is kind of the forgotten animal. Um, yes. There's many discussions here in the United States on economics, right? So after we call her, do we keep her for a period of time and and allow her to gain some weight um, or do we sell her immediately? And um, But I don't think there's much discussion about how we manage her beyond that. And so let's just kind of start with you. Know, what are you noticing for trends um, with coal sow management? 
So I would agree that it is kind of a, a forgotten uh, stage. Um, and first, I would start by just defining the Kolsa, what we're actually talking about. Just It's from the time where the, the farmer is now deciding this sow is going to go out of production. So it can actually be quite some, it could be a long time, but it could also be only a few days. So it can, like you say, be, she can stay for some time at the farm and be fed more. But I, what we have of data from Denmark, it is actually quite often that the sows are being sent to a slaughter right after weaning. We have actually quite a lot of sows that are still lactating. Of course, for these also economic reasons that that start feeding a, a sow that is not going to produce more is of course going to be economically uh, a challenge. Um, but then actually, um, what I think we should think about if so, where I also I think I didn't say that, but actually what I um, my topic is behavior and welfare. So if we want to talk about the welfare of these sows, there might actually be, there's a lot of challenges or dilemmas because are they actually fit for transport and what actually happens to them uh, at uh, during transport or later on at the slaughterhouses? There's a lot of different issues here and issues with, well, um, Sustainability issues also. If uh, if the sow is not uh, fit for transport, yeah, keeping her some longer, but or killing her on farm is also an, an option. But then we will, from the farmer's perspective, maybe have some issues as, of course, he loses some uh, some potential money from actually sending her on to slaughter, or uh, and we can also talk about some meat waste if we don't send her off to slaughter. Um, but what, of course, people mainly are doing is sending them on to uh, the slaughterhouse and doing transport. And I want to talk to you here about uh, why these sows might not be so fit for transport. Um, because the way we've selected, uh, genetically selected these sows, they are, of course, like bred for giving birth to this large little size. And with it, there also comes a high... Um, uh, heat production, they're, if they're also still lactating, they produce a lot of heat. And so they're really um, uh, vulnerable to heat stress. And well, you can you can imagine when sows are loaded onto a truck, we don't have that much control of the thermal environment. So there is a really large issue with the risk of heat stress when we have sows during transport. Mm-hmm. When you when you talk about heat stress, are you talking about um, even in times when maybe it's not as hot outside? So, right again, we we understand summer and, and heat stress, but you know, obviously, a sow that's lactating is producing more heat. So, is there maybe a, a time when it's not quite what we would consider the the typical season of heat stress that we sh- still should be considering this sow and her potential to exhibit heat stress? Yeah, I think because when we have these vehicles where they're transported on, of course, there's also quite a high stocking density. And and we do know that um, when they're stationary, when they're not driving, and if there's not like mechanical ventilation, or even if there is mechanical ventilation, we also know that it becomes a lot warmer inside this truck than it is outside. So the summertime or the warm period will actually be longer when you're inside these vehicles. Um, so that would be a, a challenge. And we've, um, in my group, we've um, made some um, 
survey questionnaires to uh, drivers uh, of coal south and they've uh, they talk about well heat stress being a main challenge that they they are well afraid of and that really um stationary periods where the truck is not driving even um well on purpose or not is really something they find is really well a challenge that even so in in uh, the European legislation, there is uh, rules for when the driver, they have, after four and a half hours of driving, they have to have a break for the sake of the driver uh, and a, on a 45 minute break. So they have to do this. But this is also something that could potentially challenge the sows because a 45 minute break, maybe at, well, at the side of some highway where you can't place the vehicle in in shade or if the mechanical ventilation is not good enough and then then we really have a potential um well issues for heat stress even if it's not um really hot outside and how does that differ from like a market pig is there any any differences that we should be taking into account for transportation or are they similar no there are well Quite, there, sadly, there's not that much scientific literature, but what we know really from uh, these, well, we've talked now about the, the risk for heat stress, they are just a lot more at, at risk for that. But also just in general, they're, now I talked about before, or I mentioned fit, fitness for transport. This is like the concept that they have to, um, before being uh, going on the vehicle, yeah, the, the driver and the farmer has to see that the animal is fit for transport. And there's, well, there is a discussion about what is actually fitness, what, what is being fit for transport. Is it, well, there is actually not scientific, like clear definition. So you can also say if, the, if scientists can't agree, how can the driver and the farmer and all that agree? And they don't. Uh, but there is this discussion that maybe coal sours are never really truly fit for transport. And one of the reasons is also some of the work from the, the group I'm in, that we find that these coal sows, they their clinical status they deteriorates from before being loaded on to afterwards. So we've done, yeah, before and after looking at uh, wounds and abrasions uh, all over the body and also taking uh, rectal temperature, a lot of different measures and see that just in general, these sows deteriorate, become worse over time. And this is even when they are all um, decided to be fit for transport. So if my point here is, if fitness for transport is not deteriorating, not becoming worse or not being affected by transport, which is actually what the European legislation says, the animal should not get worse from transport, then no cold sows are truly actually fit for transport. But this is like the extreme uh, version of it, of course. There is other people that would disagree that they are fit for transport just as long as they don't have large shoulder ulcers or stuff like that. But yeah. And one of the things that we use a lot in the United States is body condition. And so we might, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the calipers that many of us use on the South farms that give us some estimate of back fat cover yeah. and body size. But is there any any data? I know you said science is pretty limited, but is there any data that would suggest that a sow with a body condition score of two, so relatively thin, um, would have a, a higher increase of being a downer sow at, at the time she gets to the harvesting facility? 
Yes, and that's actually a really good question, but because in general, they are, cold sows are just thinner. So there are more of those, and then the thin sows is what becomes normal. And then the, the farmers and drivers, they maybe don't see it as an issue because it's just normal that they're thinner. But we actually do see that the lower body condition score, they do have higher risks of yeah, deteriorating. So there is uh, an association there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and so one of the conversations we have a lot here in the United States, too, is that the the composition of the sow has changed. So from 15, 20 years ago, we used to have a sow that carried more back fat and not as much lean. And today, obviously, they're very lean with low back fat. And, and when a animal nurses and doesn't have enough food or, you know, it doesn't eat enough to support the milk production, right? they're going to take that off of their their body mass. And so we anticipate our sows today to lose muscle because that's obviously what they're comprised mostly of. So does that have any impact on potential injuries in, in transport? And definitely that's another good point uh, because of course, both, I guess, also in the States and also in Europe, most sows are crated. So they really don't have, they don't have much muscle strength. They are just, yeah, they're confined. And well, the thing is with during transport, when we were asking the drivers about what do you think is going on inside when you're driving, they thought they were li- the sows were mainly lying down. But now we actually see, we actually managed now to put video inside, which is not easy. Um, just tell you, not easy. Uh, things break and stuff. Um, but now we have video recordings and we actually see that they're almost standing all of the time. So imagine being the sow that has so limited muscle strength, have been in a crate for so long time and and with, of course, all of this high heat production and all this, and then just standing for many hours and just, and of course, being mixed with other sows. And we know that this, of course, mixing unfamiliar animals, we have aggression. So this is, of course, one of the reasons why we see this clinical deterioration is because they're fighting and they will be exhausted. And that's also, we have another study also where we then look what's going on when they're at the slaughterhouse, their larage pen, when their load is off and we see that they're actually, the first half hour, they're fighting some more, but then they lie down. And I was like, why are they, they're lying now really quickly? Well, now that I know that they're standing up inside the truck, I realized they are most likely very exhausted and they prioritize lying down over actually getting to something to drink. Uh, so we really have some yeah, issues because yeah, now I'm moving on to this larage pen or in the slaughterhouse. There is like this thought that this is the time where they should rehydrate and rest before going into the slaughter line because that would also affect meat quality. And there's also, of course, a welfare perspective that they have not been able to drink and eat during transport. Um, but what we're actually seeing is that they really don't have much, well, opportunity or they don't, they don't choose to drink because they can't, they're not enough drinkers or they're so exhausted from the transport. So, so it's really not maybe the the point of resting and rehydrating is maybe not really working in the setup, at least the one, the, far, uh, the slaughterhouse that we're looking at. And I imagine it not being very different because that's not, the, the pens here are not made for a longer stay. It's mostly in and, and out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's quite interesting. And I was just kind of listening to what you were saying. And and in some ways, I could argue, well, a market hog is not much different, right? They Some will stand, some will sit, 
Um, there is a little bit of aggression, of course, that occurs in those market trucks. Um, they're going to get into a, a holding area after transport stand and, and lay down. So how how is the Colsau necessarily different in your mind versus the market hog, right? I'm just trying to kind of think through if we're going to make changes, how do we view them differently besides muscle strength? Well, of course, that the heat production is quite yes, right. different, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, then sows are just really aggressive. We know pigs in general have to establish this dominance hierarchy, but really the sows are really, there's some really angry ladies in there and uh, and there's no room to get away. So that's really, because, so I've also done another study on wiener pigs, 30 kilo pigs, and I was really surprised to see how little they were fighting. They're also mixed, but they're actually not fighting very much compared to these colossals. It is just really intensive. And I actually, I'm not actually aware that we've done studies on slaughter pigs with video inside. And there's really not very much literature or behavior during transport for any of the different stages of pig life. So there's, so I'm not sure that we actually know how much is going on but i would still imagine a lot less than them yes you're right you're right sows sows are very aggressive when they're trying to establish a hierarchy and then of course being a cold sow just to answer your question the reason there's a reason why the soul sow has been taken out maybe she is actually their health status is not doing or, or isn't very good it might be already that she's lameness is one of the main reasons that sows are taken out or old age. So we they they are just in a more vulnerable setting than these like yeah um, slaughter pigs, finisher pigs that that are good health status and and yeah and have been yeah muscle strengths and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you raise a you raise a very good point, right? Is that they are vulnerable in a lot of different ways, right? And so. Um, they do require different attention. And, and I want to go back to that ag- aggression comment a little bit because it, it made me think of some work um, years ago. I ran a study where we looked at just different housing environments in gestation, right? So the stalls versus group housing, larger pens, et cetera. And one of the things that we always had discussions on at that farm was how to, to minimize the aggression that occurs when you first introduce sows into a group pen. And so I, I keep thinking about that as far as some of the challenges that you're seeing in the truck. Um, some of the things we would try would be like uh, putting baby powder or something in their noses that would kind of all make them smell the same, if you will. Mm, and yeah. other things would be like giving them a bunch of feed before we mixed them into group pens. And and so if you looked at any of those things to maybe try to minimize that aggression in transport. There is one issue with giving like, okay, if sows are hungry, they will be more uh, aggressive potentially, but we can't really feed them beforehand because actually they are often fasted before. So we don't have issues with both, well, motion sickness is an issue with pigs and also later at the slaughterhouse, if they have full um, um, intestines, that would be, there's risk of um, contamination. So for that reason, they are actually often fasted, which might then make them more yeah, aggressive and all that. But actually, another call sows are forgotten, but one that is even more forgotten is, well, the boars, the, the boars that are used as teaser boars or whatever. There's not that many of them, but when they're transported, they're transported uh, individually 
there like there's um yeah there are of course more in the truck but there's um, yeah different compartments for them mm-hmm. because we always say bulls are really aggressive and that's true but the cold south the sows are also so and yeah, they've just been in the, the crates and haven't been mixed for a while. So we do know that this is an issue. So one thing that could potentially be done is, yeah, individually in the, in the truck. But of course, that's then more expensive because then you can't put so many sows in the truck. And then you have that whole economic uh, side to it. Right, right. And that creates a, a high challenge for sure. Yeah. And so I think that's actually interesting. I didn't realize that I might, I guess I never really thought about it, transporting pigs that they could develop motion sickness. And so um, I do think that's actually an interesting comment and observation is that we need to be thinking about how to mitigate some of those, but yet you're right. The feed is obviously a challenge when we're sending pigs to harvest. And so um, any other thoughts that producers could try in this, this time frame to try to prepare their coal sows for market? Any recommendations? If you were to have your own facility, what types of, of processes would you employ when you're ready to market those coal sows? Well, actually, if I really, and the, well, I started out saying this also that maybe the sows should not be transported at all. So that's, I of course, know from economical reasons that's not, that's an issue, or for the wastefulness of that meat, because of if you call the sow at the farm, often you can't sell it uh but from a welfare perspective i think it would be the most well for the sow it would be best not to have to put her through that because uh, i really think it's difficult to to mitigate those different issues that are, mm-hmm. and yeah yeah i agree it, it sounds like quite a challenge in, in many different facets and great opportunities right for someone like you who's involved in research, it gives you some wonderful opportunities to answer some questions and look for some solutions. Yes. Um, One of the other things that we didn't really hit on because we have focused on welfare, but what about biosecurity? Um, That's obviously a big one here in the United States. And so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. That's also very good. Yeah. So in, in Denmark, we really, there's a high focus on biosecurity. And well, actually, so a, a truck coming in to get coal sows will not, well, a, a truck can only get into a farm if it's completely clean. So with if it's getting a full load of slaughter pigs or wiener for further transport, then the truck can come in because it's completely clean and then it can go away. But with coal sows, there's often not that many sows per herd, so it will go and pick up different sows. And because of that, then the farmers don't want the truck going into their herd. So instead of, uh, in Denmark, we use pickup facilities, some kind of other vehicle where the farmer brings out the the sows a few, maybe hours before, uh, or maybe just minutes, depending on how good the logistics is going. And then the truck backs up into that, um, that pickup facility and then takes but then, of course, this also prolongs the time where there's a high stocking density and there's not feed or water often. And depending on this pickup facility, is it placed in sh- shade or sunlight and all that? Then we can really challenge these sows even before they're actually put on the the vehicle. But of course, this is the dilemma of increase or keeping biosecurity and then the the welfare of these animals. Absolutely, absolutely. 
one thing kind of keeps popping into my mind as we're visiting Cecilia, and, and that really goes back to, would it be advantageous to feed that sow to hold her um, on the sow farm for a week or two? Um, let her dry up, right? All the milk disappear and and feed her full feed just to kind of get her I know we won't get body condition back in a couple of weeks, but at least kind of get the energy back in the correct order, right? We're no longer negative in energy, but more on the positive side. Um, do you think that there's any advantage to that as far as helping that sow manage the stress of transport? Yes. So, of course, that would be some beneficial, but I just think it might be difficult from the economic perspective. So I don't know that in practice it would happen, but of course, legislation could say that that would be necessary. Um, you said dry off, uh, because we talk a lot about dry off when you talk about dairy cattle and in a welfare setting, that dry off, we have to mitigate that and different ways of feeding that or should we do it abruptly or not. But that's also not something that's talked about in sows. They are abruptly weaned and well, with dairy cows, we know that this um, stench milk in the udder will be this, uh, uncomfortable in some, maybe even potentially painful also, but at least uncomfortable. And the same might be the case for cold sows. So even though we would keep her there and only yeah, transport her later on, she still experiences some discomfort just from the way that we are weaning. So that's also, and and just then, of course, yeah, doing it at the same time as being transport then, then adds up. So I, I think that you do have a point that that might be something to do, but it won't um, solve all the challenges that the South experiences. Sure. Yeah. And the reason why I bring it up is that at least where I worked for a period of time, that was the requirement was that the sow had to be dry. Um, so we really couldn't ship her out for at least five to seven days after she was weaned um, because the harvesting groups did not want mammary glands full of milk. So um, just kind of that question, right, on will that really help us in this situation or no, you know, the other negatives really outweigh even that opportunity to to hold her for a week and kind of get her back in the correct balance. And then, yeah, another interesting point, something that I didn't know, but when I was visiting one of the Danish um, slaughterhouses, we we realized that a full uh, udder with milk is actually something they can sell and it's actually something that they get some money for. And it seems maybe there's actually some, there's a market for these others filled with milk. So that might, yeah. You just have to find the right market, I guess. Yeah. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that you could find a market for that. But that it exists, yeah. Very interesting. Well, Cecilia, I see that our time is, is really almost up, and I've really enjoyed our conversation around sows and, and transport. And just to kind of recap to the audience, you know, some of the conversation that we've had here is that um, there is some valid concern as to whether or not um, it is appropriate to, to transport coal sows um, off of the farm simply due to the fact that they have this depleted muscle mass and um, potentially have some pretty severe aggression that, that, will, they, that they, sorry, they will undergo um, during transport. And um, again, of course, when we think about animal welfare, it's certainly something that we do want to think about and consider as we move forward. It is time to our famous dream. 
Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Genesis, the first power in genetics, AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production, Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Hivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Hivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. Before you um, leave us for today, we like to ask our guest speaker a couple of questions. Um, the first question we like to ask you really focuses on swine. And it's, do you have a, a resource that you might recommend to the audience uh, that they could go to for swine? Yes. So it might be a bit of a heavy reading, but actually what I'm reading right now is that there's a scientific opinion, or actually two scientific opinions that came out from EFSA, so the European Food and Food Safety Agency. So they made these huge <laughs> scientific opinions about welfare of pigs on farm and during transport, where they really have yeah, summarized all the literature and at different stages of the animals and what kind of uh, animal welfare measures you can look at and what still needs to be done and all that. And it's a tremendous amount of work. And I think it's really, yeah, something, if you want to have some heavy reading, I suggest that's a good place to go to. <laughs> Perfect. We'll have to look that one up for sure. Um, how about something that's not pig related? Do you have a, a book that you might recommend to the group? Yes. So it's kind of still animal-ish related. Um, but there's this book um, called um, The Psychobiotic Revolution by um, Cryan and Dinan. They work about with this gut-brain axis and the microbiota and all these different yeah, ways we maybe improve well, mood and behavior with animals and humans. And I found it really, really interesting. But I actually, I did read it because of some work-related stuff. But, in, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, there was a whole new world of the microbiota that I think, well, we should, yeah, consider. Yeah, it's actually really interesting, right? I've, I've read a lot of that in the human side lately as to the changes in your microflora and how that may impact your mood um, over time. So I think that's actually really intriguing. Right? Yes. So many things we don't think about. Exactly. Um, and there might be stuff we can do also for uh, for the pigs, uh, considering the way we feed them also. So I really, I'm actually hoping to do some research in that uh, the topic. Very good. Very good. Well, the last question we like to ask our guest speaker is if, if you could think of someone in your life that, that you've defined as successful, what's a key trait about them that you think has allowed them to be successful? Um. Keeping calm when fires erupt, and fires always erupt, uh, and being able to see, okay, this is the different, like, we have these options, and then we have to, yeah, put out the fire, uh, if that makes sense. I'm thinking of my PhD supervisor uh, and professor. She, she really, shit goes down, and yeah, doing animal experimentation, and yeah, and she always managed to, yeah, keep calm and... Um, and find a way out 
maybe right. sometimes even better than what we actually aimed for. Or at least that's what we convince ourselves of when the plan doesn't work. <laughs> I know. I always admire people who can do that, right? For me, I'm, my brain is gone and I'm panicked and other people are like, no, let's just think about this and, and move forward. Yeah, so. And I'm probably also the panicky version, but that's why it's, it's really great having her as a supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Calm in the eye of the storm is always a great trait to have. Well, again, um, for our audience, this is Dr. Cecilia Keller, and uh, she is from Denmark. And again, we want to thank you for your time, Cecilia. Thank you. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.